You're listening to one of the sermons preached from Shalom Baptist Chapel, recorded at one of our worship services. Uh, good morning, everyone, uh, brothers and sisters in Old Chachukang Road, and also brothers and sisters at Tong Lee, and friends and those who are at home. Uh, a very good morning to every one of you. Um, thank you, Joel. Really, thank you for leading us in the time of worship, bringing our hearts and our minds to focus and remembering that there is none like God. There is truly none like God. Uh, especially as we are going through a lot of things in life, when Thank we feel lost, Christ. especially, uh, it really makes us want to search for something. And for us as believers, as we continue to search, we know that there is truly none like God. And God alone, he, is, he himself is the one who will satisfy us. And as I was thinking about how we are also moving forward, closing up and wrapping up Triumph Through Trial series in a few more Sundays' time, I believe many of us, we have learned so much through this series and hearing from James' words. Uh, there's so much things that we have gleaned from. And I hope that we all have taken time together, going deep and looking at uh, what Christian faith is all about and how we can really practically live out, especially as we go through challenging times, uh, whether as individuals or as a church community. By now, you have seen that this series is not helping you to get out of the trials that you are in. Uh, but it's more like a lighthouse to help you to navigate through the trials that you are in. It also doesn't necessarily bring you out of the pain that you're going through, but I hope that it has given you some perspective, new perspectives uh, that you are experiencing in your trials. And perhaps even uh, some perspectives that you have gained on the pain that we might have knowingly or unknowingly inflicted on others in the midst of the trials. And so this has been constant. The truth that James offered to us in his time and to us today is that the truth does not change the circumstances in order to change your life. But it is inviting you to let God change you whatever circumstances that you are in. And so today's passage is no less different. Uh, I find that it's even more relevant for us today. And allow me to read today's text for us. Taken from James 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, a little time, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
someone reflected on this passage, and I really can't help but to share what he wrote. Listen to this. People today are just the same as when these words were first written. We still find people saying what they are going to do today, tomorrow, or in six months' time, at the end of another year, and perhaps still further. And I've no doubt there are persons here who have their own career mapped out before them pretty distinctly, and they feel almost certain that they will realize it all. And the text applies with very peculiar force when our friends and fellow workers are passing away from us. Sickness and death have been busy in our midst. Perhaps in our abundant service, we have been reckoning what this brother would do this week and what this sister would be doing next week, and so on. The uncertainty of life comes home to us when such things occur, and we begin to wonder that we have considered anything at all safe or even probable in such a shifting, changing world as this. And this was written by Spurgeon in the year 1890. When I first came across what Charles Spurgeon has described in the year 1890, I thought, wow, I could just copy and paste <laughs> what he said, and people would think that it's written for today. No matter how the world has advanced in the medical field or technology, no matter how we have, feel that, we have felt that we have become more and more intelligent. This passage still applies to us, where we will still be caught unaware by life and uncertainty. And now, here's a question for all of us today, for those of us on site and those online. Are we just like the people in Spurgeon's time, in the 19th century, and in James's time, who still live our lives in a way that we still need to hear this same old ancient message? I believe so. Some of you are probably, are not just thinking about year 2022, because we're coming close to 2021 already. Perhaps many of you are thinking even way ahead of what the future is going to be for yourself, for your family, for yourselves as a couple. And even more so as we continue living in a world where we see that there is a disease that has already turned the world upside down. The more we want to plan, because life seems to be out of control, right? We, we want to find ways that, okay, how can we get out of this? And as every one of us, we are facing different sets of unique challenges. You would ask this very valid question, how can we move forward from where we are? because we don't want to stay in fear. You probably don't want to stay feeling that your work has no purpose. And you most definitely do not want to stay burnt out if you are feeling that way right now. And you don't want to stay stuck if that's how you're feeling in your family, in the way how you're parenting, or maybe in your workplace that you feel stuck and you feel that life has no progress. And so it's very normal that you don't want to stay where you are at. You want to find ways. What can be your next step? What can, how, what can you do so that you can move forward? What plans can you make? And some plans can be very elaborate, right? 
and take a period of time. For instance, you want to go and take a course, learn how to manage your finance better. Or you go for a course to acquire better skills, to upgrade yourself. Some plans can be simple, which is you take leave and take time to rest. Some of your plans can be very drastic. You quit your job and you find another one and do a mid-career switch. Whatever that plans that look like, you want to do something about it. And yet, when we read today's text, James seems to be saying that there's an issue about planning. Now, this is my hope as you hear today's message, that there can be a shift in how you approach making plans for tomorrow. Here are three key points I want to cover. What is the problem? What does this problem reflect? And then how do I resolve it? What is the problem? I was talking to my brother along the week. I told him, I'm going to preach this Sunday. And James said, your life is a mist. So therefore, do not plan your life. And then my brother's reaction was, huh? Cannot lah. Cannot don't plan. <laughs> yeah, James is not saying that planning is wrong. Therefore, don't plan. That's not his message, okay? In fact, James would know very well that the scripture affirms that it is wise to think ahead and make plans in life. Here is one from Proverbs 21.5. It says that the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. So planning is not a problem, okay? But James finds the posture of your planning is. James quoted from what some of the believers said, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. These believers' posture is that they have overconfidence in their elaborate plans, in their own self-efforts, in their own personal capabilities and abilities to bring about a certain result. And in this case, they are very confident that they will make a certain kind of profit if they carry a certain plan accordingly. Now, as I'm saying this out, I am I'm struggling because some of you who know me well, I'm a planner. <laughs> I'm a planner. I'm a planner to the extent that I plan to, to the extent I imagine if I do this thing, the outcome will be a certain way. And so, but yes, James is saying to you and me that there is something wrong with this kind of posture. Because not only were they overly confident in their plans, the posture reflected that they were making plans without considering God in the picture. What does this problem reflect? Two key things. This posture reflects the presumptions of the self. One thing in particular the Jewish believers seem to carry this presumptuous belief is that I have power and control over the outcome. They may not explicitly say that, but the level of confidence in their plans gave that implied belief. And that is why James put it across to the Jewish believers, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist 
that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In other words, James is telling to the audience and to us today as well, you do not have the power you thought you have because you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I thought James was actually quite lenient because think about it, we don't even know what's going to happen right next second. We don't even know what may come upon our lives right after this service. To some extent, I believe COVID has made us become more aware of this reality. When James was addressing this part, he was definitely and clearly talking to a group of believers who were the rich ones. Remember, James, in, in this context, when James was addressing to the Jewish believers, there are people who are poor, there are people who are rich. And in this context, he's most probably talking to the rich ones, the people who are businessmen, those who are capable to think of making elaborate plans, those who are highly educated. And most of us who are tuning in right now, those of us who are on site, as I look at those of us the, who are here now, and those who are totally, you know who you are, those who have the capability to come online, to have internet, to have a laptop, you are ones who are capable. You are ones who have certain sense of um, richness, even if you don't think that you're as rich as the Jewish believers. We are in some level similar to these Jewish believers. And hence, many of us, we are also susceptible to carry some of these presumptuous thoughts. The second thing that this problem reflects is the position that God was taking in one's life particularly the believer's life. Now, imagine, okay, those who are married, recently I realized I always use married couples analogy. <laughs> those who are married, okay, imagine your husband and your wife makes a decision, a very important plan and a decision without processing with you, okay? And I mean the kind of decision that would impact your relationship. And I don't mean that you decide, okay, today what do I wear? Unless, for some of the couples, your decision of what you wear will impact your relationship. I do not know, okay? But you make a kind of decision and a plan that will impact your relationship and your daily life as a married couple. Imagine that your spouse made that kind of important decision, okay? Okay, for the single, for the singles, single working adults, okay? Perhaps one day, you decide that you want to move out on your own. And this is something that is getting more common these days, right? But imagine you make that kind of decision without properly talking through with your family, with your parents. Okay, now the parents must be thinking, okay, imagine, what would that, how would I feel if my child does that, okay? And then your child moves out one day. I, I'm not trying to bring out scenarios and cause family fights right now, okay? <laughs> um, but, Think of these two possible scenarios. For the parents, for the spouse who hear your other half making certain decision without processing with you. Maybe you will not say it out how you feel. Maybe you will not say out how you think. But I'm sure this would be on your mind. You might be thinking, did my wife or my husband 
or my child consider me at all when she make or when he make such kind of decision. In the same way, whatever plans that you make on your own without considering God in the picture, God is asking you the same thing. My dear child, my dear child, where am I in your life when you make that decision, when you make that kind of plan? My dear child, have you considered me in the picture at all? That's a pastor from North Carolina who, who said this, when we forget God in our lives and in our plans, what we are trying to do is to take his place. We are proclaiming our autonomy and independence from him. And we step in and say, I've got control. I don't need you, God. I've got this one, God. Very strong words that this pastor is using, right? When I read, I feel like, wow, God, that's serious or not? But this also makes sense that James was very harsh and blunt saying this. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. We need to consider the weight of what James is saying over here if we call ourselves believers, okay? As if that wasn't enough, James added in verse 17, in a sense that if you know what is right and you still don't do it, it is sin. If you know what is right and you still don't do it, it is sin. Now, what is sin? What is sin? What does sin do to God? And I reflected, there were a few, few, few words that came to my mind, sin offends God. But I think there was this word that helped me really understand the heart of God even better. Sin hurts God. Sin not only offends God, but sin hurts God. That's right. Scripture does describe our sin hurts and grieves God. And it hurts God that you trust yourself more than you trust Him. That is how God feels when you plan and make decisions without Him in the picture. But here is the good news there is a way to resolve it. And this is the, 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 the response that you and I can make. Keep this refrain, Deo Volente, in your heart, in every plan you make. Okay, now, those who are at Old Chachakang Road, I can hear you, huh? but those at Tongli, I cannot hear you. But I want you to do this, and those online, can you repeat after me? Deo Volente. Okay, those who are at Tongli, are you all reading? Deo volente. Okay, what does that mean? Anyone who knows what it means, raise your hand. Oh, there's, a, there's a, someone in our midst who wants to raise. <laughs> you know what it means, right? Okay, some of you online, you may know what it means. And maybe some of you on, at Tongli, you know what it means. Deo volente means God willing. Or, if the Lord wills. And this is based on what James 4.15 says. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Okay? So I'm saying, keep this refrain in your heart, in your life daily. Deo volente. Because we are so familiar with English words, right? So I use deo volente. More, 
more atas, more atas. If you can think of a tune, even better. Deo volente, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But this phrase is a very customary way that Christians have been using many years. Okay, they even use it in the wedding invitation or in your gradu graduation card invitation. They use DV for short. Okay, but it came to a point that it, it became so cliche. God willing, God willing, God willing. And the phrase lost its meaning. But perhaps it is time for us today to bring back this refrain, Deo Volente, if God wills. Uh, just as Hughes described about this refrain, it is to be the constant refrain of our hearts as we conduct the affairs of our lives. If God wills, must be written over students' plans, the choice of a life partner, future education, all everyday activities. Older people need to say from the herd, if God wills, I will spend my time. If God wills, my children will become. If God wills, I will take up this ministry. If God wills, I will wake up tomorrow. To say Deo Volente, if God wills, it means that you want to acknowledge your real position. Meaning, you recognize in reality, you don't have power or control to determine the outcome of your life. But instead, you make plans in a way that you include God in the process and you submit your plans to God. Hear this. It doesn't mean this, okay? It doesn't mean, okay, Ising say this, right? We make plans, we put God in the picture. Okay, now I start to make plans. God, I am including you in the picture. I'm praying to you. You must be in the picture. I pray. Okay, this is the plan. Ah. Is it okay, God? Okay, you are in the picture. Ah. You're in the process. Now, God, I submit to you. Okay, you make sure this happens, ah, God. <laughs> that is not what it means to include God in the picture. Because if you think that is what Deo Volente means, um, no, this is a very bad way of thinking what it means because you're saying that I am still controlling. I'm still in control. I'm controlling God. <laughs> I'm controlling God. I'm controlling God uh, to decide what I want. When we say when God, if God wills, it's saying that even as we keep God in the plan, as we submit our plans to God, we must say that God, I'm still not 100% sure. Whether is it your will? But I submit to you. And so not only you acknowledge God, uh, not only you acknowledge your real position, you acknowledge God's rightful position. That He is the one who is truly in control and in charge with regards to everything in life, including yours, including those of you who are online that he has the power to determine the outcome for all of life. And ultimately, when you say Deo Volente, you're saying that you're making the choice to trust he will know what is best for you and that will display his glory. And so if he does allow you to experience success in your plans, you will say that God is the one who will take all the credit because he wills it for you to experience that success. And if a particular desire or a dream or a plan of yours did not come to pass, 
you can also be at peace, even if you may not understand anything or everything, because you would say, if God wills, if God wills. I want to invite us to do a little exercise, okay? Now, if you're sleepy, maybe this is a good time because I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. <laughs> but, okay, close your eyes, but please continue to take, pay attention, okay? Those who are on, at Tongli as well and those who are online. Close your eyes. And I need you to do something with your hands. Put your hands up, okay? So make sure your hands is not holding phones, okay? Just put your hands right before you. Close your eyes, huh? I cannot see if you're closing your eyes for those at Tongli. Just close your eyes with your hands, your palms faced up. Okay, now take a moment. Think about your dreams, your desires, and your plans. Imagine, okay, maybe you have too many, then you're thinking, you think there's too many. <laughs> Think of a few, okay? Think of a few. Think of your dreams, your desires, and your plans that you have. Imagine now that you are holding them up on your hands. Everything, every one of them, your dreams, your desires, and your plans. You're holding them up on your hands. It could be about your health, okay? It could be about your concerns for your children. It could be about your spouse. It could be about your parents. It could be about the salvation of your loved ones. It could be about your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It could also be about the job you are in now, okay? Think about this, all these on your hands. It could be about your financial stability or your business. You continue to make sure your hands are up. Imagine all these on your hands. Or it could be about the ministry work that you felt God has given to you. Still with your eyes closed, okay? Now it's up to you how you are going to hold these dreams and desires and your plans. But here is one condition, okay? As you keep your eyes closed, you must know this. You, must, you need to be prepared to lose any of them at any time. Okay? With your eyes closed, imagine now. Someone is trying to take the things off from your hands. Your dreams, your desires, your plans, without your permission. What are you going to do? What is your hands doing now? Is your hands clutching tight at this moment? Or is your hands still open up? Now, as your, if your hands are clenched tightly at this moment, this person is going to use force to pry your, head, your fingers open. Now, what are you going to do next as this person is trying to pry your fingers open? Will you choose to just give up and let go? Or are you still trying to hold it as tight as you can until you have no strength? Now, I want us to open our eyes right now. Okay, how many of you, when you hear about someone is taking your dreams, your desires, and your plans, your response for your hands is still open? How many? Raise your hands. Wow! How many of you was clenching your hands close? <gasps> okay, Chachuka, oh, Chachuka wrote, nobody hands close. 
Their hands all open. Wow, how about Tong Li? Wow, you all passed the test now. <laughs> wow, I'm not like you. Leh. Sometimes I still feel my hands are clenching tight. If your dreams and your desires and your wishes, they are precious to you. I think those who are at Old Church Road, they are very model people. <laughs> we need to learn from them. <laughs> a lot of times, the first reaction when we feel that our dreams, our, our dreams, our desires, our plans are slipping away, the reflex, the human instinct, is actually that we want to make sure they don't slip away. That we want to hold them, make sure they don't go away. That is the... The normal human, uh, the, the people here are not human. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But that is actually most of what people would do. The reflex and the instinct is that we want to hold things to make sure that it's still preserved. Our dreams are still protected. And most of you would know by now, the someone who is trying to take things away from your hands is God. Maybe that's why you know it's God, that you know that, okay, la, God. Open my hands up. Now, this exercise was thought as I read of this uh, quote, and maybe some of you have heard of this before, for Corrie Ten Boom. He's, she said this, I have learned to hold all things loosely, so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. What Corrie Ten Boom has said, hold all things loosely or lightly, is basically living the refrain, Deo Volente. And when you do mean it from your heart, saying, if the Lord wills, we will do this, we will live, we will do this or that, you are saying that you are willing to hold your dreams, your plans, your desires loosely, and you are prepared to let it go, if that is what God's will is. Now, on the other hand, if you notice, Kori Temun said, I have learned. That means it takes, it takes a life time. It takes years to learn the, the, the master of holding things loosely. Because it's the human instinct, it's the human flesh that we want to take control. Why I want to highlight is this, because it is often very challenging to see God's will to be good in our circumstances and hold things loosely, especially when our plans when our desires are not His will for us to keep or fulfill. COVID is one example. Why do I say that? No one would wish to catch COVID. No one would wish to catch COVID. No one would wish to die because of COVID. But it happens. To the most extreme sense, when you say that you can hold your desire and plans loosely, you are saying that you are okay to meet Jesus tomorrow, if that is God's will. How many of you are ready to meet Jesus tomorrow? I don't know how many of us will be ready for that. If we were to pause and think carefully, what our response is. And that will be the picture of whether are you holding things like tightly or whether you're holding things 
loosely. Because some of you might be thinking, what about my 10-year plan? What about my family? What about my career pathway that I've thought that I'm going to work towards there? And especially to those of us who are 50, 40 years and below, there is always the natural tendency that we are expecting ourselves to live a longer life. And this comes back to the main problem that James was talking about, our posture of our planning. And so the question is, how can we learn to be like Corey Ten Boom, that we can say this and truly mean it? I have learned to hold all things loosely, including my very own life. Perhaps this is when we turn to Jesus. There are three things that I want to share with us. Turn to Jesus and take heart that Jesus empathizes with you and I, our struggle to say Deo Volente. Why do I say this? Because on the night when he was betrayed, he went through the same kind of struggle that we would for ourselves at the Garden of Gethsemane. It was so overwhelming for him that he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Figuratively speaking, Jesus was also, his reflex was that he was also holding tightly to his own life in his hands. It did not come as a reflex for Jesus to say, Deo volente. But what helped him was that he acknowledged God the Father. He took time to wrestle with the Father in prayer. And he cried, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He wrestled with God. He did clench his feast. And so Jesus empathized with us when our first reaction and our reflex is to clench our feast. He empathized with us. But yet it was through the wrestle in prayer, he finally was able to loosen his grasp and say, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so this is the second thing. As we turn to Jesus, we can learn from him as he exemplified to us that he, that he acknowledged the Father as as Jesus did, and wrestle with him in prayer. Because the prayer in itself shifted Jesus to take on the refrain, Deo Volonté. And likewise, my dear brothers and sisters, friends, if you're struggling, if you realize that you're holding very tightly, don't just stay there. Don't just stay there. Bring it, continue to clench your fists if you want, and bring it to the Father. Wrestle with God. He can take it. He can take your wrestle. He can take your two hands and say, let's fight. Go to him. Wrestle with God. And lastly, let the cross be an evidence and reminder for you and me. Because the, the cross is a representation of Jesus who has power and the control over all life. And I really appreciate Joel. He, he picked a lot of songs that it, it really kind of flows with today's message. When I survey the wondrous cross, as we think about Jesus on the cross, he is the one who has all power and all control over our life, but he gave up all his rights for that, for you and me. He gave up his own will 
to let the Father's will be done. For what reason? For you. For me. And so whatever God's will and plan is, you can be assured that it will ultimately be good for you because at the end of the day, God's will at this point of your life may seem like He's trying to take take something away from you that is good to you. But no, you must know that at the end of the day, God's will for you will be better than the ones that you are holding tightly in your hands, no matter how good it seems to be for yourself. And so, dear brothers and sisters, you can plan, plan your tomorrows, but plan with a sense of having God in the picture. And my prayer and encouragement for you today is stay au volunteer and learn to really sing it and say it, understanding what it means. Let us pray. God, the more as life is out of control, the more we want to make plans because we want to have a sense of control. But forgive us when we make plans without you in the picture. Forgive us as we have heard and grieve you, trusting in ourselves more than we trust you. Some of us did not even realize it, that we are having that kind of posture until today. Forgive us that we have indirectly thought that we ourselves can determine our life's outcome. And so thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us how we can make plans for tomorrow, even more meaningfully when we include you in the picture. Be it the short-term ones or the long-term ones, help each one of us to plan it with a refrain in our hearts, Deo volunte, if the Lord wills. So that when plans come to pass, we will give credit to you and not to ourselves. And even when our plans don't come to pass, we will not have to despair and be bitter or question your love. Because when we look to Jesus, we can be reminded that you, your will allows it. And even when we cannot completely see how it's good at this point, we can continue to trust your heart for us. God, I want to pray for those who may not believe in you and who are, still, who are also listening. I pray for them that they too may come to believe your will is good as they look at the life of Jesus. If in their hearts they are looking to have faith, please grant to them, as I pray, that they may find hope in this uncertain world, that they don't need to live in fear, that they can come to experience making meaningful plans in life in ways beyond they could ever imagine. Help us, Lord, to say this refrain, Deo volunte. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.